So last week we didn't talk about this because we talked a little bit about prayer. But tonight we're going to continue talking about living life in light of eternity. And our focus tonight is going to be on the fear of God. So, um, and as always, to kind of keep myself on track, I'm going to read some of my notes, okay? So, um, one of the things that I wrote, or the first thing I wrote is, live now with eternity in mind. So, we are in this earth, we're living, we are alive, but it is important that we live now with eternity in mind. Because as you know, we're only here for a short time, right? But eternity is a long time. (laughs) And so if we only live for today, then we won't get the benefits of tomorrow. Um, I heard this little story about this dad who asked his, uh, his son, he said, you know, I can either give you um, a piece of candy now, or you can wait for about a half an hour or so, and I'll give you five pieces of candy. And he asked him, which one do you want? So the little boy chose the piece of candy right now. Well, he missed out on the other four because he was just thinking about now, satisfying, getting what he could get right now. But our heart is that we not only think about the now, but we think about eternity, right? So um, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the New Living Translation says this, do, you, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does does what pleases God will live forever. So one of the questions that I have, and I I pose this question to myself, but I, I had to stop and think, What is my expectation of heaven? What is my expectation of heaven? You know, if if you have an expectation of something, you know, like I I said earlier, when I come into church, I expect God to, to show up. Okay? So there is an expectation about that. There's... There's a longing, there's a desire, there's a hunger, there's a thirst. But what is our expectation about heaven? So I want you to think about that this week. What is your expectation about heaven? What do you think heaven is all about? What do you think is going to happen in heaven? What do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? What is your expectation? You think you're just going to be floating around like a cloud? You know? I mean, what, what is your expectation? Do you think you're going to live in a mansion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is our expectation? What is our expectation when we see Jesus? When we come face to face with him? Are we going to be able to say, God, I, I, you know, Jesus, I did everything you asked me to do to the best of my ability? Are we going to be able to say, you know what, I endeavored to 
walk in love like you told me to walk in love, to forgive the way you told me to forgive? Are we going to be able to say that I, you know, had, um, that I served in the church, that I served the body of Christ? Are we, what are we, what is our expectation? So keep that in mind. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this in the New Living Translation. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And then 1 Peter 5, um, chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, New Living Translation says this. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say... You must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the, whole, the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will re- judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. So we must live in reverent fear of him during our time here as temporary residents. This is not our permanent home. So, you know, like, <laughs> um, I can think about when, uh, you know, some relatives would come stay with us when we were little, and my, my dad would be like, don't set up, you know, don't set up camp. Don't, you know, don't think you're going to stay here forever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, don't set up camp here. Don't think you're going to stay here forever. <laughs> so, you know, you, you know, when you have people come and there's some people who don't know when to leave. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. So, praise the Lord. But we, we know that one day we're going to either meet Jesus in the air, right? Or we're going to uh, come back with him, we're going to be raised from the dead. So, praise the Lord. So, don't set up camp. So one of the most significant things we can do to live life in light of eternity is to fear God. You see, when we reverence God, his word will affect how we act, think, talk, etc. It will cause us to depart from evil, to pursue the right things, to obey even when it doesn't make sense, to have a more intimate relationship with God. So when we are um, thinking of Eternity, having a relationship with God is so important because it's, it's not just, you know, when we get to, to um, heaven that we're going to see Jesus and we're going to be able to spend time with him. It's not um, in the by and by, but it's right now. And what we do right now and our relationship with him now will help us to live the life that he desires us to live and to have. Amen? And having that reverential fear, which is something um, sad to say, but it seems that in our generation, even people who profess to be Christians do not reverence or have reverential fear for God. They think, oh, well, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can live any way I want to live. But we just read that God is holy and he expects us to be holy. So does he forgive when we commit sin? Absolutely. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? 
So we know that, that's true. But if you know that something is wrong and you continue to do it, that's sin. So this God of ours who is holy, he's saying, if you'll reverence me, if you will honor me, your life can be so different, so much fuller. So, there's so much more like the little boy who took the one piece of candy and got now instead of waiting and getting five pieces. God is saying there's so much more to this life if you'll just reverence me. And so Solomon, and you can turn to this, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now Solomon, you know, he was, um, he prayed, he asked God for wisdom and God granted him that. And it talks about the fact that he was the wisest man there was to live, the wisest, the richest. You know, he had, he had uh, wisdom, but God also gave him wealth as well. So he had all of these things. But Solomon started out great. You know, he feared God. He uh, followed after his father, King David, and, and reverenced God and did things, you know, did things according to the word of God. But then there came a point where he was not living for God. He was, you know, he had all those wives. He was trying out all these different religions, and he was listening to everybody and everything. And so we get to this particular verse, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He says, and, you know, he's been talking about how things, you know, this is life is vanity that, you know, no matter what you do, you can't change it. And, and just, you know, he's just got this horrible perspective about life. But he gets to this verse and he says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. So he talks about, you know, all of this stuff, how... Um, you know, how, how he, it's better, like he was say he said stuff like, um, it's better, the day you die is better than the day you were born. Um, he t- basically says everything is boring. You know, he's saying what's missing can't be recovered. So, all, you know, he was making all kinds of statements like that. But he gets to this verse, and he says, that's the whole story. But then he says, here now is my final conclusion. After he's been through all of this stuff, he says, here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. So he tells us to fear God and to obey his commands. The Amplified Bible says it this way. All has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God, revere and worship him knowing that he is and keeps his commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of happiness, the adjustments to all in um, harmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. So in the Amplified Bible, he's telling us that this After all of this, he said, this, if you'll do this, this is the full original purpose of creation, the object of God's uh, providence, 
It's the root of character. It's the foundation of all happiness. It's the adjustments of all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun. And it's the whole duty of every man. So he said, God is saying, and I have figured out, Solomon said, I figured out that I need to fear God and I need to obey his commands. And if I do that, then all of this other stuff is going to fall into place. So um, I'm thankful that he got to the end of Ecclesiastes and he had figured it out. <laughs> and you know, did, as I was studying this day, I'm like, God, why did you let him write all that junk? I mean, that's how I felt about it. I did. I was like, why? Why? You know, why? All of this, you know, I mean, it was just, he, just horrible, really. Just, I mean, he, he didn't have, it was like he didn't have any faith. He didn't care about nothing. I couldn't figure out if he was bipolar. I couldn't figure out if he was, um, you know, uh, dep- had depression. I mean, you know, all of this in his writings, if you read Ecclesiastes, it's like, okay, God, now I know that the word of God was inspired. Men wrote it, but you inspired them to write it. Why did he write this? Why did you inspire him to write this? And I realized that God wanted us to understand that Solomon went through all of this stuff to get to what he should have already known. Because God had given him wisdom. God had showed him the way. God had made it very clear. But he veered off the will of God. He veered off the path of God. God on his own path. And that, all those, those chapters in Ecclesiastes, we saw the evidence of him not doing what God told him to do. Not obeying God, not fearing God. But thank God he got to the end and he got it right. Amen? Thank God God has mercy on us. So when we mess up or when we get off the wrong, onto the wrong path, God will forgive us if we'll ask for forgiveness and turn us around, set us back on the right path, help us to get where we need to get. What I did, I was like, I don't understand this. This is like depressing. (laughs) But I realized like, oh, okay, all right. So Psalm 25, verse 12, the New Living Translation says, "Um, who are those who fear the Lord? Who are those who fear the Lord? And he says, he will show them the path they should choose. So if you want to know what path to choose, according to this verse, you need to fear the Lord. Right? The Amplified uh, version of this says, who is the man who reverently fears and worships the Lord? Him shall he teach the way that he should choose. God wants us to make wise choices. God wants us to enjoy life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, but not only have life, but have it more abundantly. Zoe life encompasses everything that is good, everything that is good from God. So um, now, what is the fear of the Lord? Now, you know there's a difference between the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord, right? Those are two different things. Sometimes people get those mixed up. 
and you, so when you say to them, you know, fear the, you should have fear for the Lord, and they're like, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. They're real quick to, to quote that. But that's not what this is talking about, okay? It's not talking about a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Correct? So, but he does say, and it says like, it, there's like, I didn't count them, but it's like three over 300 times where God talks about fearing him, fearing God. Um, so it must be pretty important. Another scripture that talks about um, fear, 1 John four eighteen. again, the New Living Translation says this, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So if somebody is fearful, it's not because of God. Generally, it's because they have something to hide. Right? So, you know... um, so fearing God is not being afraid of him. It's not, you know, that we would be afraid of him, that we would uh, withdraw for him, from him. Um, you know, like I said, people who do that have something to hide. I mean, Adam and Eve would be a great example. You know, they walked with God. But then when they sinned, what did they do? They hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Like God didn't know what they did. But they hid themselves. They withdrew from the presence of God. They withdrew from the goodness of God. They withdrew from what God had for them because they didn't fear him. They didn't fear him enough to obey his command, to not eat of that tree, right? Y'all awful quiet. Okay. All right. That's okay. Um, Psalm 139, verse 16 through 18. Turn there. Because I want you to, I want you to understand that, that really we don't have to be afraid of God. Like, you know, he's looking down in heaven, from heaven, looking to see if we're going to mess up and, you know, and pop, bop us over the head or something. He, that's not the kind of God he is. He's a merciful, loving father. In this particular psalm, Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? So, you know, if, if God wanted us to be afraid of him, like not come into his presence, um, you know, be fearful, be quivering, you know, if, if that's what he wanted, it, he wouldn't be saying here, how precious are his thoughts? How precious are God's thoughts about us? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So, you know, scientists say that um, 
there's anywhere from 500,000 to a million or so grains of sand in a cubic foot. So that's about, think about like that and like that. And so um, in this passage, it's talking about that God's thoughts toward us, we can't even begin to number. They outnumber all the sand. You know, you think about the beaches, all of the beaches in the world. You think about the deserts. I mean, I can't even go out to out here in the desert and number the sands. You think about every place that there is sand, and it says that God's thoughts out about us outnumber that. We are precious to God. We are important to him. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to, um, like he did with, with Abraham, he wants, to, he wants to be able to call us his friend. Amen? He wants to reveal things to us. He wants to show us things to come. He wants to let us in on, on in, you know, give us insight into what's going on. He wants to be so intimate with us. Praise God. And he's looking for ways to do that. But the first thing we need to do is to fear him, to reverence him, to not take him for granted, to not think, oh, well, you know, you're God. And, you know, you said you're you're a God of love and you said you are love. So even though I mess up, even though I'm doing out here doing whatever, it's okay. And God is saying, no, it's not. It's not okay. And that will hinder my relationship with you. That type of thinking, that kind of action, it will hinder my relationship with you. So fearing God is, is, is so, so important. Um, of course, you know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, right? Thoughts of peace and not evil. So God's not thinking evil about us, right? And to give you a future and a hope. So that's what God's thinking about us. But the people, um, let me share an example of the people being afraid of God's presence. Look at Exodus chapter 20. You know, I, um, you know how you read the Bible sometimes and you're like, okay, I know this has already always been there, but somehow or another I missed it. <laughs> Anybody done that? It's like, really, God? How did I miss that? So I'm going to tell you something that I missed. Okay, but let's read Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read um, verses 18 through 20, and we're going to look at the New King James Version for this. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of uh, the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us 
and we will hear you, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear God. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So what Moses is saying here, he's like, don't fear God. Don't be trembling. Don't be afraid of him. You know, like you're afraid of a snake or you're afraid of whatever, you know, spider or whatever you might, you know, deal with. Afraid of heights. People have different fears. Even though, remember, God says he's not given us a spear of fear. So we may have to cast those things down. But Moses is telling them, don't be afraid of God. He's saying, he's telling them here, God has come to test you. What God wants to know, are you going to fear me? Are you going to reverence me? Are you going to obey what I said? But they're like, uh-uh. We don't want, nope, Moses, you, you go talk to him. We not going over there. And, but Moses, see, just God brought, remember when God said he was, this is what I missed. Remember when the children of Israel, when God brought them out of Egypt? For some reason or another, I was thinking more about God taking them to the promised land. But really where God was taking them was to Mount Sinai. God was, God was taking them to the place where he had spoken to Moses, the burning bush. He was taking them to a place to worship him. So his whole thing, and I mean, I read this, you know, I've read this before. He, you know, when um, Moses went to uh, talk to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so that I may, so that they may worship me. God didn't say so they could go to the promised land. He said, so they could worship me. So here they are at Mount Sinai and God is revealing himself to them. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, Moses, we're not doing that. You go talk to him and we'll, then you come tell us what he said. But God really wanted all of the children of Israel to have that intimate relationship with him. It wasn't just Moses. It was not just Moses. He wanted all of them. And they missed an opportunity. It's like, wow. So I thought, hmm. So, praise the Lord. I thought, I don't want to miss the opportunity. I want to be able to worship God And be, have that intimate relationship with him. So if that means I have to fear him, be in reverence of him, if that means that I have to uh, analyze and adjust the way that I think or the way that I act, the way that I live, then I'm willing to do that. I remember, um, um, it's been years ago, but I've never forgotten this because the Holy Spirit really arrested me about this. But I remember sitting, I was actually sitting on this row here, and we were having, uh, having communion. And so, you know, how Pastor David talks to us about if we have sin or whatever, you know, we need, if we need to forgive and has us pray. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm cool, you know, I, and, and the Holy Spirit said, nah. There's somebody you haven't forgiven. And I'm like, I did forgive them. He's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) 
and I'm, you know, and so we're having this conversation. Now, this isn't a long conversation because you know how long we are praying. But I'm like, I, I did forgive. He said, no, you didn't. And so I'm, I'm arguing back and forth. And so what he said to me, which really arrested me, he said, okay, let me ask you this. Are they worth your life? Are they worth the anointing? Are they worth your relationship with God? And I was like, no. And I made the adjustment. See, we have to decide, is it worth it to serve God, to do what God tells us to do? Is it worth it? Are we really going to miss out if we do what God tells us to do? If we fear him, if we have reverence for him, if we are willing to lay down our own will and do what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, think about um, Abraham. Abraham, at 75, God told him, I'm going to give you a son. But he didn't have that son for another 25 years. Then he got the son. You know, he's all excited. Okay, got my son. God kept his word. I'm so excited. Then God tells him one day, okay, take the lad and I want you to sacrifice him. That don't make no sense. But Abraham reverenced God. Abraham feared God. Abraham figured out, now God, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Something's going to happen. But I'm going to do what you tell me to do. So we know he got up and he didn't wait. He didn't, he didn't you know, ponder it. You know, me, I probably was thinking, okay, now, okay, what, uh, let, me, let me think about this for a minute. Let me pray about this. Let me, let me make sure this is really God talking to me. Anybody ever done that? When you knew it was God talking to you. And you're like, oh, let, me, let me just make sure. And God's waiting for you to be obedient. So, but he got up the next morning, early the next morning, took two servants, took Isaac, and they went. Then they get to the place where God told them to go. He tells the servants to wait. He and the, the boy, Isaac, go up, lad, so he probably was at least 12, 13, maybe older. Might have been 17, 18. So took him, tied him up, was getting ready to kill him. Was getting ready to do what God told him to do, to sacrifice him. But then there was an angel who said, wait, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. But you know what God did in that moment? He told him that he knew that, you know, that he could trust him. But also he revealed that he was Jehovah Jireh. So Abraham passed the test by doing what God told him to do. But God also revealed a part of who he was to Abraham because 
he was obedient because he feared God. Praise the Lord. So let me tell you a couple things that, um, some definitions, so you will we'll look at, we'll think about this. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, New King James Version says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, you know, what Jesus did can't be shaken, says, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. So it tells us in the latter part of this um, verse, verse 28, that we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now these two terms, um, the complete word study dictionary defines reverence as a profound, um, adoring awe, respect. So godly fear carries the meaning of awe, and awe means to fear, to dread, inspired by something, inspired by something great and terrific, also to strike with fear and reverence, to influence by fear, terror, or respect. To fear God is to um, hallow him. Hallow is defined as to respect greatly, to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. So we are, when we read this passage in Hebrews, when Paul is writing, he's telling us, that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then, as I said, these are, uh, you know, to reverence God, to, um, to re- greatly respect him, to esteem him, to honor him, to venerate him, to adore him above anyone and anything else. So when we fear God, we take on his heart. We love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. What's important to him becomes important to us. What is not important to him is not important to us. So let me just read you a few things. So the fear of God is to hate sin, to hate injustice, to part from evil in every sense, thought, word, and action, to walk in authentic humility before God and man. To give him praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship, the worship he deserves. To give him everything that belongs to him. To give his presence and word our full attention. You know, when I was thinking about that one, um, okay, Lord, should I say this? Okay. All right. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, when we come to church, now I'm not saying y'all, okay? Just think about on Sunday morning when the church is full. When we come to church, there are people when we are, everybody's standing and worshiping God, there are people who sit down. Do you realize that is not reverencing God? There are people when Minister Floyd says everybody lift their hands and they don't do it. 
they're not reverencing God. When the word is being taught, and if people are on their uh, tablets or whatever, and they're uh, looking at Amazon to see what they're going to buy, <laughs> or they're ordering their groceries, that is not reverencing God. When people come in late, not because they're coming from work, you know, and they, they, they're, they're getting here as quick as they can. They're just coming late because either they're too lazy to get up or, you know, they decide, well, you know, I'll get there by the time um, offering is done. Or um, some people, you know, will say that's not reverencing God is my point, Right. Okay, so those things might seem like small things, but it's not reverencing God. It's not reverencing his word. It's not reverencing his, his presence. If we all reverence him, he'll show up. He'll feel welcomed. He'll want to do amazing things in our midst. The wind of the Holy Spirit will flow through this room. If we will reverence him, reverence his word. You know, one of the ways we reverence his word is to obey it. It's not always easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying if you want what God wants, if you want an intimate relationship with God, if you want to be called the friend of God, if you want God to share his secrets with you, if you want to, him to give you insight, if you want him to bless you, then you and I are going to have to do something. We're going to have to reverence this God that we serve. We're going to have to stop thinking it's okay to sin. We're going to have to stop thinking it's okay to walk in unforgiveness. That is, it's okay to live a life and say that we're holy, but don't act it. That is not what God is asking of us. And it's not to condemn us. It's not to make us feel bad. It's so that he can bless us. It's so that he can have that intimate relationship with us. God says if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But he is not drawing near to us until we draw near to him. So it's, my, my heart is just, praise God. I don't even know totally how the words to express it. But if we want to see something different in this world, we are going to have to be different. We're going to have to have a holy reverence for this God that we serve. We're going to have to remember that God does not want his people to really live half-heartedly, to serve him half-heartedly. That's not his desire. We say people are looking for what's real. 
So if we say that we're Christians, but yet still, and we say it, say, I'll just use work situation. We're in the workplace and we say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian or whatever. But then your actions or your words don't line up with it. You know what they're calling you? A hypocrite. They're not going to look to you because they're really saying, well, you know, you're basically just like me. What makes you different? You say you're a Christian. They know more about what a Christian is supposed to be in the church than we do. Um, I heard, um, you guys remember Jim Baker? And... um, you know, he went through a, a lot of stuff. He, he did some wrong things, um, ended up going to jail. I think he was sentenced to like 45 years and got reduced to five years, I believe it was. But um, someone had an interview with him, and so they asked him this question. They said, well, Jim, did you, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? He said, I never did. And the person interviewing him was like, what do you mean you never did? All that stuff that you did, how can you say that you didn't fall out of love with Jesus? He said, I never did. He said, I loved Jesus through all my mess. He said, but I didn't fear him. I didn't fear him. I didn't, real, didn't acknowledge that God does not like sin. I didn't acknowledge that Sin was contrary to who he is. That sin separates me from him. That sin leads to death, leads to destruction, leads leads to my life becoming what it became, a wreck, shambles. So think about that. He said he loved Jesus, but he didn't. Fear God. Something to think about, huh? Something to consider. I think about, you know, I love my husband. Sometimes he thinks I don't, but I do. (laughs) But there are things that I won't do because I love him. because I honor him. There are things that I endeavor not to do, not far from perfect people. I'm, I'm learning, walking this life out with fear and trembling. But there are some things that I won't do because I love God and because I reverence him. So, think about this. Ponder this. Don't be looking at other people. Look at you. Talk to God about you. See if you need to make adjustments. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. I'll say again, God loves us. He created us to have fellowship with him. 